Welcome to episode 87. You like that? I changed it up. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> 80, episode 87 of Milwaukee's Hillgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. With me are J.P. Breen. And what was Ryan's title today? Our very own Darren Ravel. Yes. He is a, yes, he's all about managing the brand. Yes. The podcast brand. So every, every decision you see with the, the look and feel of this podcast... It runs through Ryan. All your comments should go to at Ryan Top, RD Top on, on yeah, Twitter, right? At RD. At RD. <laughs> so uh anyways, yeah, we're doing we're recording on Easter. So all praise our Lord and Savior uh Christian Yelich. <laughs> yes, let's be blasphemous. Because let's be honest, he has risen. He he is risen. Is, is is that the correct way to say it? I think it is, yes. I'm pretty sure it's a literary present, yes. <laughs> so, uh, well, with the with the week he's had. Yeah, I mean, it, he is practically walking on water. At this I, point, I think so. we probably should all, you know, uh, praise him. And take some fishes and loaves to his locker and see if he can do something with that. Because as we'll get into, without Christian Yelich's performance, this team would be going through a pretty rough stretch right now. So... Uh, but yeah, we'll get into that later after all of our blasphemous talk. Yeah. So by the way, uh, we're recording this on Sunday, right? As the brewer game is about to start. So we don't know what the result is, but I will say, and I'm sure that, uh, a certain member of the, uh, the ancillary family of the podcast will be super happy about this. The roof is open first game of the year. (laughs) Yeah. So Andy, this roof's open for you. There you go. Yes. There are always the, the roof hawks. And not not the Miller Park Hawk. No, the Roof Hawks. There are other Hawks who who monitor whether or not the roof is open. It is open for the first time. Yeah, it's first time. I mean, it's the first time it's even been like debatable that it could be open. Well, yeah, it's in like the mid seventies today. Yeah, it's really nice out. So open that roof. Enjoy the weather because it's going to be September soon enough, and we'll have to close it, and it'll be cold. Sure, we're almost there. I I can't wait for that first uh, thunderstorm of the year. When it rolls in and it's 85, 90 degrees out and they close the roof and it basically just turns into a giant schwitz at that point. So. I, always, I always bring my towel, <laughs> just sit there with the towel on watching the beer game. <laughs> roof closed, nice little humidity. Uh, S- sweat out that beer. Exactly. <laughs> it's healthy. So, hey, if you like this and you want to hear more of it, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Rate and review the podcast so you can help people find it. Uh, we want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons and above receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast, which just came out last week. Yep. Were mm-hmm. you happy with yeah, it? We kept it? We kept it under an hour. I think it's it's very meaty in content. There's much meat to it. A lot of meat on that bone. I think having yourself you, a good stew. You kept you kept it to an hour, but these are the people that probably go along with you. Yes. Well, you usually stop though. You say, "Hey, I, you know, I made it through like an hour, and then I I bailed." So, I, like I said, I usually wait for my mention. <laughs> and I think you mentioned me pretty early in the podcast, so then I'm like, "Okay, next." <laughs> well, so the thing the thing to always remember as well is that. If Steve wanted to listen to any of this, he could just give us a call. He doesn't need to listen to a podcast for it. I hear it all the time. <laughs> My life is a podcast, and that's not a positive thing. <laughs> you're, 
you are a middle-aged white man, so I am, you have yeah. a podcast. I mean, that's just it comes with the territory. <laughs> it and does. a beard, a beard, a love of craft beer, and a podcast. <laughs> what everyone's like? What that is the joke, right? If I have, have like twenty, or like thirty to forty-five-year-old white men who are all friends, I'd be like, guys. Measure of our friendship is we should start a podcast. Exactly. No, that's that is what the way that like a pride of lions or a you know a murder of crows podcast. <laughs> a group of middle aged white men is known as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, and we are proving that every week. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Four Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Again, when we're talking about craft beer. Uh, you know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. We've already had a couple, right? <laughs> well, you not even one. No, I know. Uh, right now, you can go out and get Radicat's New England IPA, and they also have Fruit Punch Fantasy Factory, which is made with mango, pineapple, and blackberry. Have you found that one yet? Nope. I, I haven't not. gotten a chance yet either, so we will have to hunt that one down still. Uh, Carbon 4 has re-released the boozy, hoppy, and incredibly drinkable Idiot Farm, so pick that one up. Also get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code mke tailgate as always check out carbon4.com for more information carbon4 beer brilliance okay so the week started out i don't know all right i mean they won two from the cardinals to start that series which is good they've taken five of seven from the cards and they have them again (laughs) this week once again so they're beating the teams in the division which is good to see I was going to say, let me like a legit comment that I have about thus far, like at this point of the month is when I saw that where you were like, they took two or three from the cards and then dropped three straight from the cards and the Dodgers. Right. That's what it says on our rundown. And I looked at it and I was like, I, I don't actually even remember individual series anymore uh, because they've been playing the same teams again and again as I've actually kind of lost track and, and just assume that. It's somebody I, good, though, like if they're playing a game, they're playing against a good team. That's just. But basically, we don't have a break in what till the end of this week. They finally go out to New York and play the Mets. Yeah, they played a 13, 13 in a row. They're in the midst of thirteen straight games. 13, well, 13 straight games against like two teams. And that's what. And that's the thing, right? If somebody were like, "Hey, do you remember that game against the Mets?" I'll be able to say yes, and you'll be like, "Do you remember that game against the Cardinals?" Be like, "No, there were no. like." I don't know which one you're talking about. Yeah, because they finished the stretch against the Cardinals, and they face them like one more time in September. Oh, no. I mean, you play your division teams like 18 times, 19 times. Yeah, and they have like 15 of those out of the way already. Well, yeah. I mean, after this is done, after this three-game series with the Cardinals is done, they'll have played 10 of their 19 against the Cardinals. I was going to say, they have like two away and one home. It was like this last year, though, too. They played the Cardinals a lot early and then didn't see the Cardinals much No, that summer hit. Yeah, no. Uh, they had like one late series. They've done that with the schedule with, like, I think they've had that with the Cubs in the past as well. So that's just kind of the way that baseball has been doing schedules. I don't know. It's fine. Um, but after taking two from the cards, they dropped the third in the series, and then they dropped two against the Dodgers, which I think got everybody kind of worried. Yeah, I mean, especially losing that game when Hader comes in and, and shuts down Bellinger in one of the at-bats of the season so far uh, with the bases loaded, two outs in the seventh. And then he comes back out, and it just it wasn't quite there. And, of course, Kike Hernandez hits the three-run homer off of him, and now we're looking at, you know, the rest of the weekend seeming pretty shaky at that point because you've you've burned Hater probably for the remainder of the weekend, and how are you going to get through it? Did you think it like he wasn't pitching well that 
that the inning in which Hernandez ended up hitting the homer? Because I like I thought it was just kind of a, a fluke thing. I mean, he was up 0-2 in the count. He threw you know a mid nineties fastball up in the zone, and and Hernandez was just looking for it and squared it. I mean, he was throwing a lot of pitches. He got in that game. He got three outs, and he was up over thirty pitches. That is not normal for Hater. So no, in that sense, on. like he was, he, but that, he has out. Okay, yes, he threw an immaculate inning this season. That is not the norm. Mm. I mean, also, I'm not saying he's inefficient, but I, the guy throws pitches. He can, he also, can run it up. And also saying that he threw a lot of pitches to get three outs is not the same thing as saying he didn't have it. It's not like it's not like he wasn't throwing hard. His, his slider, he was throwing in the zone a little bit. He had a couple of really good bats against uh, uh, or like he had a couple of battles against really good guys. Yeah. And that's that is a fair point. Um, so do we want to get into the hater question we have right away since we're already on that? Sure. OK. Uh, did you put it in here? Yeah, well, the question itself isn't there, but we were we do have some statistics that we needed to go to go through. We do. We got a question about uh, Josh Hader's home run to fly ball rate, uh, his average exit velocity. And then we also looked up his infield fly rate. So some interesting, interesting stuff here, because it does feel like when Hader gets hit, he gets hit hard. Um, but which is borne out by the fact that he is among exit velocity in of all big league pitchers he's 17th in average exit velocity guys are averaging 94 miles an hour off the off the bat on him so when guys yeah. do connect with him they do tend to hit it hard they do but the, as far okay. as the rest of the numbers bear out um well who was it boop, boop and blast on yeah, uh, twitter's say, boop the guy and, who asked it yeah boop and blast said you know can you pull up some numbers on how many home runs josh Hader is giving up compared to the amount of hits he's allowed so he's saying, you know, I know when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. What's the average exit velocity? Just kind of looking for us to kind of dive into the numbers to find out. Is it is it the case that when somebody does make contact, because it doesn't feel like a lot of guys do make contact, is it when contact happens, you know, it's basically home run? It's yeah, like so so right now, Hader has a 60% home run to fly ball average, and the league average is about 15%. So he's not giving up an exceptional number of home runs when guys do make contact. I guess not from that perspective. Um, no, but guys are making hard contact. I but, didn't. I didn't argue that they they do make hard contact, but they aren't doing it at a rate that's so much higher than what most guys give up. Now, he, he, well, just a quick point on that. Something that you have to be very careful of when you're looking at those numbers. You're looking at average exit velocity, meaning you're going to be looking at the the few home runs that he gives, in which the exit velocity is going to be over 100 percent versus the very few other times people have made contact and put them into play, which is going to be a very low, like likely a pretty low uh, uh, average. So I would say that the home runs, the, the few that he has given up, are going to rise that up pretty good because otherwise with all of the other numbers that we're looking at, that exit velocity number doesn't, the average exit velocity doesn't make any sense. Yeah, which is 94 miles per hour for his exit velocity. His infield fly percentage is 25% and the league average is 9.4%. So yeah, that's a lot of, you know, hits that he's there isn't, you know, a lot of and, velocity on and his uh, batting average on balls in play, which, again, doesn't take into consideration those home runs is 200. So he's not giving up hard contact when it actually stays in the field of play. It's just those home runs uh, drive it up a little bit. Well, yeah. And guys don't make that much contact off of him, as is noted by the fact that he has a ton of strikeouts and he's almost at two strikeouts per inning. So well, he's at pretty close. He, I mean, he strikes out 50% of the batters he faces. Yeah. 
So uh, one guy who definitely has a pretty good exit velocity at the moment is Christian Christian Yelich, who has he has single handedly carried this team now because they haven't been getting a ton of great starts. I mean, Yasmani Grandal has been good and. Mike Moustakis has also been pretty helpful offensively. But other than that, it hasn't been... Who was... Somebody, I, I don't know, Mike Fasalo had it, um, where in the past week, the only guy to drive in runs, though, has been Christian Yelich or the pitching position in the uh, batting order. Did you that's see cr- that? That's crazy. It no, was. I, did, I didn't see that at all. But I will say, you have a very professional segue to, into that, by the way, Steve. You like that? And... Yeah. Uh, Christian Yelich, just because people might be interested in this, uh, as far as exit velocity goes, the leaderboard is Joey Gallo, Aaron Judge, Gordon Beckham, Victor Carantini, Christian Walker, and Christian Yelich is sixth in baseball with an average exit velocity of 95.9. So so um, I will say, because this number was uh, really interesting to me more generally, what would you guys guess right now? How many home runs... For the entire year, is Christian Yelich on pace to hit? He was like close to 100. All of them? <laughs> All of them. Yeah. It, right now, it's uh, just over 95. I, right, because it's a, it's a fraction. But 95 homers. Right now, he's on pace to hit. That seems good. Seems not particularly sustainable, but we, well, no, we don't but, think it's necessarily sustainable. So I was going to say, the funny thing is, like we kept talking about the second half last year, and we were like, those are Barry Bonds-type numbers. There's no way he's going to be able to do it again. So... Uh, Barry Bonds, eat your heart out. 95 home runs. That would be something. I think he can do it. <laughs> I'm going to bet on it. So since last August, and you found this, it was Mark Simon posted this? Yeah, Mark Simon put this up. Uh, Yelich is 80 for 212, which is a 377 batting average, and he's slugging 873. So again, when we're talking Barry Bonds. It's, that's Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds number. Yeah, 20, really. 29 home runs uh, in 57 games. 29 <laughs> I keep checking it like, games. no, no. I'm yeah. like, no, you you wrote that wrong, didn't you? Nope, that's no, what Simon that's what put down. Is. So he has a, an 1,800 OPS at uh, Miller Park, and he's 650 away. Yeah, I mean, they haven't played that many away games because they did, you know, they've played much more at Miller Park early on here. They're going to get more road games coming up. But, you know, I think that there is something to the Miller Park batter eye. I think a lot of people, Paul Goldschmidt could probably tell you about the fact that hitting at Miller Park has been something he's done his entire career. Um, it, I think it does, that that batter's eye is good for hitters to be able to see the ball well. And yeah, I mean, it just with the roof closed and the, the controlled environment so far, yeah, I mean, the ball does fly at Miller Park, so... Okay, we, we did get a Patreon question from Timothy Congleton. He said, if Yelich keeps his home run streak up, uh, are we going to see a run for the single-season home run record? I guess at what, what point, JP, would you feel confident at all thinking that Yelich could, you know, let's say even pass 50 home runs? Because that's a lot of home runs in a season, let alone hitting 73. It is, yeah. I think we'd have to probably get through May before we'd start kind of flirting with anything, you know, close to that. The one thing to, to keep in mind, too, and it's something we've talked about a lot, but there's been so many articles coming out this week and so much data in terms of looking at the actual ball, um, how much it's actually affecting the power numbers across the league, which does bode well for somebody like Yelich, because the biggest thing with Christian Yelich is, you know, if we want to talk about that every single time, it feels like uh, 
you know, what do you, that Josh Hader was actually giving up some hard contact or like gave up contact at all. It felt like it was a home run. Like Yelich takes that times a hundred. I mean, right now, basically if he puts the ball in the air, 50% of the time it's going out. He's got a 42% home run per fly ball rate, which is ridiculous. And certainly, you know, playing at home certainly makes it a little bit more comfortable. Uh, but the baseball makes a big difference too, because the biggest thing that's come out in terms of the baseball more generally is that uh, the way that it's currently constructed is it's reducing drag like air drag. So it's, it's just traveling through the air much more easily than it has in the past. And one of the kind of, I think it was like uh, the the OC Register, um, a, a newspaper out of uh, L.A., and they were talking about the fact that, um, you know, somebody grabbed a ball from BP, and the BP balls are actually different than the game balls, and threw it to, uh, threw it to. I think it was Orlando Arcia, but it might have been somebody else. So this would have been when the Brewers were actually out there for for the Angel series, and. Um, and RC, if it was him, but whoever was like throwing the ball looked at it and said, "said this this is this is different. Where'd you get this ball?" Um, and the, it's, it's uh, that noticeable. Yeah, basically, it like as soon as it was thrown to him, he was just like he's like, "This isn't you know, this is different. Where where'd you get this?" And he and he was like, "Is this a is this a batting a batting practice ball?" And the the writer was like, "Yeah, it is a BP ball." And he was just like making one of the the kind of the bigger points of saying that. The ball is different, so different that if you switch it up at all, uh, people notice right away. And it has to do with the seams. It has to do with just kind of the feel of the ball more generally to reduce drag. But um, that was one of the more interesting things that kind of came out is just the idea of like there is that much of a difference between what's happening. So they could literally start popping the seams up a little bit more to make a big difference in the way things are going at the moment. I mean, so what's happening is they are at basically the high end of the tolerance where they have a window of what the specifications of the ball are. And because of manufacturing conditions have gotten, you know, a lot more standardized and the technology's improved, they can make balls that they all fit within what MLB's guidelines were, but they're at one extreme end of it. And I mean, let's be honest, this is what's keeping baseball from becoming a offensive black hole. Look at what was happening the first half of this decade as strikeout rates climbed, walk rates were dropping. Basically, everything was going towards the pitchers as pitchers threw harder and harder and harder. We're missing more and more bats. And then in the all-star break of 2015, all of a sudden the balls changed and it instantly it was notable that like, Within a few weeks, people were like, yeah, something's different because balls are flying out of the park at an extraordinary rate. And now hitters have, over the past few years, have said, okay, well, I'm going to adjust to this, and I'm going to focus more on putting the ball in the air because it's so much easier to get it out of the park. And you've seen the explosion of home runs, and it's really the only thing keeping the offensive game. Everything else is going towards the pitchers, and everything else is going towards not scoring runs. So the only thing keeping runs scoring at all in line with something that we kind of know as baseball is this home run trend, which you can argue it's good. It's bad for the game or whatever, but it's really the thing that's keeping things in any sort of balance right now. I was going to say, is that the game we want where it's, it's home runs and strikeouts? Well, but I want to just address two really quick things. So number one, uh, MLB is actually, I, it might, if it's not a controlling stake, it's a pretty large stake in the baseball manufacturer for, for both MLB and AAA. 
Um, so like this is being directed by Major League Baseball to do this. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind, too, because Steve, you were like, can we just, you know, raise the seams a little bit to start doing this? If you do that, um, pitchers are going to get so much better. Like they're they're like being able to do those things and break off spinners is going to be so much easier. But this is why you start to see so many pitchers and so many teams. Like if you actually talk to players and pitchers and stuff, they're all like, you've got to use something to get better grip on the ball. Like so many people are using, you know, they call bullfrog or like all that kind of different different stuff. And you see, oh, so and so's got stuff on his on his hat, and he's going to it every single time. The pit, hitters actually like it that they're doing that because otherwise the the ball is so slick right now they could lose control of baseball completely but that's why you know there's always about stuff in terms of spin rates and are you using stuff to be able to get better better spin on the on the seams and different things but it's it's really complicated and it shows to me you know they've been talking about all of these things moving the mound back you know limiting mound uh, mound visits doing all of these things but any tweaks that you start to make you have unintended consequences and I would imagine that one of the, the intended consequences that they had by changing the baseball was to be able to increase offensive output. Uh, the I bet the un, the unintended consequences are number one: too many home runs, where the team where baseball is now getting a little bit upset with this. Uh, but the other thing too is you're seeing more and more pitchers have to use quote unquote foreign substances to be able to hold the baseball because it's so slick. Um, so, but to me. I think things go in cycles, so I don't actually, whether it's, you know, the kind of baseball that I want is, to me, it doesn't, doesn't really affect much. Uh, you'll eventually see pitchers figure out how to, uh, how to retaliate. Um, well, and, you know. and there was this talk of hitters in the minor leagues becoming better at hitting the other way or whatever. Remember, we, we talked about that in this podcast before that Theo Epstein was saying hitters are already fixing this, but we haven't seen that manifest in the big leagues. We haven't seen a, an inordinate number of guys being able to just slap the ball the other way through these. That's big because Christian Yelich keeps hitting it out. He just hits over the defense. He does. He the number of left center home runs he's hit has been incredible to this point. Like he's really driving the ball out to opposite field, which again, yeah. that's why you know he hit one of his home runs over the weekend off of uh, Ryu uh, for the Dodgers, and it is you could just see he just takes the the ball opposite. Uh, field against a lefty you know yeah. so that's why he's able to hit not only hit but hit with power against lefties which is impressive but, yeah he gets so much backspin on those balls that he hits the other way too it's just it's amazing it's like watching somebody uh pop a uh like a five iron it's a remarkable i would say it I don't gets get it it, it, it gets to to the point that right now we have kind of gotten to the point where um, you know, batting average and balls in play was such was seen as this thing in which pitchers, you know, couldn't really control what happened when when the ball got put in play. So the most effective thing to do was to be able to maximize your strikeouts. Right. So they started pitching higher in the zone. They started kind of moving in, in this direction. And uh, hitters hitters reacted to say, well, you know what? Also, I can't really control what happens if I put put the ball uh, in the field. So I'm just going to hit, hit the ball over the fence. Um, and if I strike out too bad. But I do wonder if you'll start to see more pitchers or at least some pitchers uh, start to like have extreme ground ball tendencies. And that's a way to try to, you know, kind of counter these things eventually that in order to kind of limit your ability to do this, maybe you're going to see guys not try to do kind of high spin rate four seamers and you're going to see more guys try to be, you know, 
the the Brain webs of the past, right? You know, your Aaron Cooks, your your guys that your Derek Lowe's, the guys that were just like really consistent ground ball pitchers for a long time, and they're not really all that sexy. But you do wonder if that can counter what players are being able to do these days. Is, is does Zach Davies fall in that category? No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you know, it's funny when you say that though. I think of someone like uh, Cody Bellinger and the way he swings. I'm like, I don't think it matters how much you try to bury that ball in the zone with that kind of swing and the power he has, he's yeah. able to just golf everything out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely. But I think that's also why you've seen more guys go to cutters. Yeah. Right. Well, and Bellinger's rare and with the way he swings, uh, he's going to be lucky to make it to 30. I would imagine his back is going to be twisted and broken by that time. <laughs> he's going to get Prince fielded. Yes. I or mean, it, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods. Yep. Those are guys who had some of that extreme torque when they swung. Um, it's hard to keep that up. Yeah, it but does. You know what? Issues when he's not playing the Brewers. It is fun to watch Cody Bellinger hit. Yeah, I mean he is really putting on a show. Yeah, you talk about another guy who's been locked in. So uh, JP, what have you thought of somebody like Bellinger when he's up there? You know, a young guy who really just he doesn't get cheated on in that bat. No, he doesn't. But he's he's got the hand eye coordination to be able to to kind of do damage. Um, and understand what he's doing with with the with the bat. Basically, he's got it's it's he still has barrel control, which is is big, right? It's not Joey Gallo going up there and absolutely just taking a massive hack every single time. He's got an ability to to know what he wants to do with the ball, but yeah, he's definitely not going to get cheated. And and the and the thing is, like, eventually guys will figure out that like pitchers will figure out how to be able to to adjust to what what hitters are doing. And the thing that we've seen in the past is it generally takes three or four years, right? Like, there there are a few years, and they'll figure out a way to do it, or, you know, baseball will change something, and we'll get, you know, upset about it. But, um, well, Bellinger's well, an interesting one. because He took the league when he came up as a rookie and was a power hitter that I don't think people were expecting to the degree he was when he came up. He really struggled last season and had to make adjustments, and he kind of started to get together at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And this year he's come out on fire. So, yeah. again, when you talk about a guy who's had to make adjustments. Well, he's an interesting development case, too, because he was not a guy who, when he was young in the minors, was hitting for a lot of power. But people loved his swing, and they thought he was a good hitter. And they looked at his body and said, okay, this is a guy who can grow into power, right? And it's exactly what happened. I remember following him as he was kind of emerging as a Dodger prospect. And I can't remember who I wanted the Brewers to trade for him, but I remember being all about that. But he had already broken out at that point, so it was like, okay, well, this isn't going to happen. But yeah, I was gonna say, the moment when Ryan wanted the Brewers to to actually like trade somebody for it, it was going to be somebody that the Brewers weren't all that high on, and somebody the Dodgers wouldn't accept because they also knew that he was going to be quite good. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. I think it was it, Ryan Braun. It may have been. I think that was. I think that was part of the. Uh, yeah, the right. Brewers are going to trade Ryan Braun to the Dodgers, but it got held up because the Brewers were demanding Cody Bellinger in return. So so Cody Bellinger uh, was in rookie ball in 2014, hit three homers, and then in 2015 got skipped all the way to high A, which, by the way, should tell you what they thought about him at that point, yep. and, then hit, and then hit 30 bombs. <laughs> yeah, and it was... it was. I remember people talking about it going, we didn't think there was this much power in there, and it was going to come this fast. And that's when he started rocketing up lists. And also, you look at the rest of Bellinger's profile, and this isn't a Cody Bellinger podcast, but I mean, you look at the rest of his profile. He is a first baseman who's a very, very good defensive first baseman who is fast enough that he can play center field. Yeah. Like, that is a rare, weird skill set. 
So yeah, uh, well, just like his swing, I don't think his ability to play center field is going to last. Well, and he doesn't anymore. I mean, there's no reason for him to now. Yeah. So anyways, uh, speaking of other young players, we had uh, Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns got starts this week that were not fantastic. (laughs) It's been a lot of that so far this season. Yeah. Peralta pitched uh, three and a third and gave up uh, three runs to the Cardinals. And then afterwards, he was placed on the IL. So I don't know. What was the exact injury? Roster impingement. <laughs> I think that's what they call it. For for Peralta? Yeah, Peralta suffered from an impinged roster, and they needed I, to uh, clear space. I thought it was shoulder fatigue, but I'm not 100% yeah. sure. <laughs> I, my, my shoulder is just as fatigued as his, I'm sure. But that's also because I'm getting up there. I'm that's getting gonna, up there in age, so my shoulder is always gonna, fatigued. I was going to say, your shoulder is 100% more fatigued. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Among other things, I'm my, sure. my my son's starting t-ball soon, and I'm like, oh god, yeah, got to get so, out the ibuprofen because this is gonna hurt. <laughs> so, like, officially, what it was is it was a shoulder issue, but it was inflammation between his right collarbone and sternum, uh, and so they basically. I think that is where the roster is located. <laughs> and so, uh, so they said it's going to be a shorter term thing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Peralta, yeah, not a great start. But on Saturday, Chase Anderson started in his place through five innings, one hit, uh, five strikeouts and two walks. Manned up. Yeah, that's exactly what they needed. And I would anticipate and we have a question coming up on this, but I would anticipate seeing him starting for a while now. Well, that's pretty good anticipation because they already (laughs) announced him for Friday against the Mets. There you go. So uh, way to anticipate that, Ryan. You're really on top of the on top of it. So, JP, I guess. Um, what did you see in Saturday's game that, that Anderson can carry over through multiple starts? Because he hasn't gotten a start now in a while, you know, considering he's left off the postseason roster as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you want to, to see when, when Anderson is going to have success is he's able to keep the, the baseball in the ballpark. Um, if he's able to do that in general, he's shown an ability to, to have some success. And he gave up I believe what one hit and gave up a couple of walks over five innings. He was able to strike out five. Um, but I wanted to, to kind of like throw something else out there. Um, not to say that Chase Anderson doesn't deserve some, some pub, but, um, Oh, I guess it actually goes into a question that we had. So I, I don't, I apologize for, uh, Take going it. just go it, into it. it. Uh, Jeffrey Emenecker said that if the Yanks don't add Gio to their roster, how interested are the Brewers going to be in him? And so Gio has decided to opt out. And so the Yankees have until the 20th to add him to the roster. And if they don't do it by April 20th, then he is going to be a free agent. Which was yesterday. So I don't I don't know. They didn't. They didn't add him. And so free to become a free agent. He's also now with a different agency. I would say that, like my immediate thought when I saw that was that that Gio Gonzalez would be the the exact type of guy that the Brewers would add if they needed to 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 get somebody in because a he's already thrown out of the, the bullpen a little bit for the Brewers in the past that they know that he's a guy that they can move kind of back and forth and right now do they feel like they need some some stability uh, especially because right now they they do have three guys that absolutely deserve time to be able to go through ups and downs 
but at the same time you have a bullpen that's not exactly uh rock solid at the moment and so is geo somebody that they would like to add for the bullpen and, and move on from say donnie hart who they just added the other day well and also i mean woodruff seems to be the only guy i feel like struggling in the rotation feels like growing pains they can deal with right now with the way peralta and burns have pitched yeah i mean Peralta's had the best start of the three, though. Like he's he had really the best. looked good against the Reds. So, but he's either been fantastic for one start or very difficult for the other three for them to overcome for the other three starts. So they've was, managed to win some of those games. But I say Freddie Freddie Peralta's been the exact guy that we said he was going to be. He, yes, Peralta's been the exact guy. Burns, who you know they finally decided to send down to AAA, um, has uh, I mean his home run issues just are something that. How do you overcome that at the moment? Well, you can't overcome it as a like functionally in terms of trying to win games. It's you can't overcome it, so that's why he was sent down. I mean, yes. they had to do something about it, and Craig Council did say it's a short term thing. So, but well, you can't because well, yeah, ten days or whatever it has to I, be. But I will say, and this is something that I put on Twitter, especially because I didn't recognize until there were a couple of articles written about it this week that AAA has started to use the MLB ball. And this is the first year that they've started to do it. And the biggest question has always been, how is it that Corbin Burns, who hadn't given up any home runs through the vast majority of his minor league career, has suddenly just like become a home run machine? And and you do wonder, like, how much is is a different ball that reduces drag and somebody who, you know, maybe has just been comfortable pitching a little bit more up and around you know the belt with his fastball because he's been able to get guys to consistently fly out to kind of medium deep outfield and he's always just been able to get around that and he's like yeah I'll, I'll strike a lot of guys out and those balls that are consistently you know now leaving the yard were ones when he was a minor leaguer but when a he was facing inferior competition but b the ball wasn't carrying nearly as far well, and some of the balls, I, I forget who posted it, showed, it was like McKelvey or somebody, I think, showed the home runs he's given up, and a vast majority of them, they have been, like, center of the zone. Yeah, Cent it, low yeah. center. Yeah, he's not, he's not just, like, you know, kind of missing his spots. It's like he's grooving these balls. And again, how much is it, you know, because Burns isn't a guy who walks a ton. Mm -hmm. How much is it that he's just over relying on his stuff that people aren't going to hit it and major league batters are too good for that well i mean this is something i said in the in the winter is he's he's often too much in the zone yeah. um and and he and because the thing is to keep in mind that yeah on, on a lot of the home runs he has grooved some there are also a lot that he's grooved that guys haven't jumped on he's there he's there a lot because he's in the zone a lot and he can actually miss a lot of bats in the zone you know more generally so it's not just that every time he misses his spot he gives it up it's just that he does it a lot and he's the you, classic good control bad command guy like if you want to see what that pitcher looks like it's corbin burns right now he can keep the ball in the zone doesn't walk a bunch of guys but in the zone he has trouble putting it where he needs to put it and so the ball gets hammered well, and so I I think one of the big things that he was able to do last year is his contact his like contact rate in the zone was under 80% last year. And which is one of the big reasons why he was able to miss bats outside of the zone. His his swing rate is always very very high because guys have to swing. But this year, you know, he hasn't missed nearly as many uh 
he hasn't missed as many bats when when he's working in the zone. His his zone contact rate's about eighty five percent this year, and his swinging strike rate is still fourteen point one percent this year. So he's still being able to miss a lot of uh, miss a lot of bats. He's still able to do a lot of good things. It's just you know they say that guys in in the majors will capitalize on your mistakes and i think that that is a little bit uh simplistic but when you make a lot of mistakes you can't get away with them nearly as much as you're able to you will get away get get away with mistakes i mean anybody who's watched brewers hitters over the last five six years right is like you know you'll be like oh man he grooved one and you completely missed it like you'll miss mistakes but you just can't make that many mistakes well, JP, there's been a little bit of back and forth. Burns says he needs to, you know, optimize all his pitches. And Council's said that he needs to simplify things because I think Burns has like five pitches he can use. Mm-hmm. Is there yeah. something he needs to do? It, are there pitches that aren't working for him, do you think? Or is it just more a matter of making sure when he, you know, wants to go to that breaking pitch that he keeps it? you know, low and away in the zone, or he really works up in the zone if he's going to work that fastball. Well, for for as much as everybody talks about how many pitches he uses, he's pretty much been fastball slider all year, and that's it. He has the other pitches. He hasn't used them a lot, which is part of what he said he wanted to do when he went down. Sure, but like I said, Council's like, we need to keep things simple for this guy. Yeah, which, like, I don't even... I don't, I'm not sure what that means, though, because, like, the other criticism is that he's using his fastball too much, which seems to... Every time that I hear somebody say we need to keep it simple, they mean start with your fastball, locate your fastball, and then work off it. And that seems to be the most simplistic thing, but it, it seems to be they want to keep it simple, but not be too reliant on his fastball. And I'm not necessarily sure what that means. Well, and it doesn't behoove them to make it super clear either. I did I'm want not, to- I'm not I'm not suggesting they're gonna like lay out their plan for attack for the next team with Corbin Burns, but like I, I'm not sure like just reading between the lines, I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. Um, going back to your point about the the AAA ball being now like the major league ball, I think that's a good thing that we are now going to allow guys to go down. Pitchers who are struggling in the big leagues with issues like Corbin Burns are now going to be able to go down and not face different conditions than what they'll face in the big league. So now he's going to have yeah, to adjust. Instead of pitching in parks where they're just band boxes and everybody launches home runs because of the arid uh, temperature and small ballparks, they're also going to add in a, a ball that everybody can launch. So, I mean, it's so going to be, this is going to be great. It's going to be a challenge, but it's going to be a challenge at least somewhat similar to what he faces in the big leagues. So, I mean, he, he, there's still going to be that, and he's not going to be facing the quality of hitter at AAA. So that does, you know, JP, does, the other does he need, does he need to prove something in AAA or is this just kind of a, let's hold you here for, a week or two, you know, just get a couple starts, kind of do maintenance stuff, and then we'll bring you back up when the, the schedule eases up a little bit. Yeah, I don't think they actually are going to work on anything. I think this is a this is an effort that the team wants to make sure he's not mentally broken, right? Like, I don't think he is, um, but I think one of the things they need, like, if he gives up, a, if he has, like, two more, two or three more starts where he gets absolutely blasted for, like, three or four home runs again, you can see a, an you can see a path to a guy starting to wonder, is this something I can do? Like, am I good enough to be here? And and we've seen guys do that a lot. And it's something the organization has to do with every single person. They need to be able to make the, the call and say, do I just need to give this guy an opportunity to reset mentally, 
go see himself have a couple of starts where he does well in AAA and then bring him back, right? We talk about it in basketball all the time, you know, kind of just anecdotally where somebody just is absolutely throwing up bricks all night and you're like, get him to, you know, okay, he's at the free throw line, see the ball go through the, the basket a couple of times, allow yourself to see it happen and then, you know, hopefully you'll be able to kind of reset that way. I think it's I think it's that. I think they're going to allow him to kind of do what he wants to do and kind of develop as he continues to try to use, you know, more than just his fastball and slider. But I think this is an opportunity for him to just me- have a mental reset, much like they were doing with Orlando Arcia last year, I think. Yeah. Okay. So we have a couple of questions. I'm going to combine them together uh, from both Adam Post and Ross Tolner on Patreon. We have one, assuming it hasn't been announced before the episode's recorded, who's going to, who starts on Monday and what's the starting rotation going to be for the next few weeks? I want to combine that with, with 140 games to go from Ross Tolner. Uh, what area would you change on the Brewers right now, and what piece would it be? So I guess when we're looking at the rotation, which seems like the area of need at the moment, and, and there's stuff in the lineup to do, um, what's going to happen in the short term? And then do they start looking at a Gio Gonzalez or if they can get Keiko's price to go down? Are those guys that they need to seriously consider going out to get? I mean, that would be fine. I'm I'm perfectly okay with adding Keiko, adding Kimbrell. I mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, it's just the the team payroll. I understand they've they've pushed their payroll up. I don't think it's you know unreasonable to be in the mid twenties right now, mid one hundred twenties, which is where they're at. I think they're at one hundred twenty three million. Like that's not an unreasonable place to be. And adding an extra fifteen to twenty million, which is what it's going to take to add one of those guys, is not something I sit there and go, well, you need to do that. It's not my money, so I'd be perfectly happy if they did it. But more focused on the the what we can control right now from within i would like to see hauser start on monday that would be my thing i would like to see happen so, so no, you're saying that you'd be because it's not your money you're actually okay with them spending it but you would definitely mean only on a one-year deal um one year ugh. are you I... are you are you suggesting to me right now that you'd be okay paying 20 million dollars a year for kimball over the next three years hmm, probably not I don't yeah, I trust I don't trust Kimbrell enough for that. Keichel, I could see more of an argument. Where for where do they need the help more? Do you think it, getting that help in well, the you bullpen don't, is you more don't, important? Hold on, you don't make that kind of decision based on where you need help in the moment. You make well, it based that's, on that's kind of the issue at the moment, though. Is where do they need the help? Well, that's I, I, that's the thing. Was, you don't make those kind of moves. You don't commit more, that kind of money for that reason. I was more pressing on uh, Ryan's point that he's saying he's okay with the team spending money because he's not okay with the team spending money. He's only okay with the team spending money in a way he's not going to regret in a year. Ryan Ryan is a Wisconsin sports fan, and he doesn't want to spend money, and it's got to be a deal if he's going to do it. It's hey, very I, very Wisconsin. I love the yes, I got a grand dollar Mike Moustaka signings. Yeah, I got a great <laughs> deal. Well, that's because they're one-year signings, so it's a great deal. So, But I will say, for me... I would be much more interested in them adding uh, if they can find if they could add Kimbrel to the to the bullpen. I'm I'd be much I'd be much more comfortable with them adding an elite piece to the bullpen um, because I think it it matches what they were able to do last year. It allows them to continuously try to uh, limit how often their starting pitching has to has to throw. They can uh, then kind of free up other guys that they're having to use late in innings right now to be able to go kind of multiple innings at times if needed. It allows them to use Josh Hader a little bit differently than, than he's kind of being shoehorned into a multi-inning closer role at the moment. And it allows them to be a little bit more flexible. Um, I would be much, I would still be fine with, with adding Keiko. 
Um, the one part that this is complete speculation, it's not founded on anything whatsoever. I'd like to make that very clear. I'd be worried. I'd be really interested if Keiko's medicals are okay. Um, I don't see any reason why he hasn't signed. Um, I mean, they put a really high price on him. Yeah, that doesn't really bother me. I don't think that I still think Lance Lynn got over $10 million a year over three years. Yeah, but Lance Lynn is better than you think. So nope, he's, he's not. <laughs> he's no. Um, but the way that I think of Lance Lynn is he's a mid four ERA guy. And that and every single team across the league has been falling over themselves to not spend money over a long period of time on somebody that's not potentially really good. And Keiko is the kind of guy that allows you to you're buying, you know, 180 innings with a four ERA, you know, three, seven to four ERA, depending on what you want to say. And he's not somebody that profiles to really age poorly. But you do wonder what the medicals look like because there are so many teams right now that could use that stability in the rotation. Yeah, it's fair. It's a fair point, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd have to see something before. It'll be interesting what happens to those guys and if they're going to sign after the draft because that's been the talk is that teams are basically waiting on them to sign after the draft, which I get that. But again, we've talked about it. The Brewers have already kicked whatever pick they had with Grandall, and it was what, third round? It was a third round pick, yeah. So you're kicking a fourth round pick versus other teams who don't want to give up a first round pick. Like if the Brewers are going to strike... It's before the draft. Do yeah. it before the draft because you can get a, somebody committed to your team. So what do they – I mean, what what do you think they have to do? Signing in May to basically take advantage of that? Because otherwise, what, it's June? I think I think largely if, I'm, if I were to guess, and again, this is just a guess, is I would say that the Brewers are trying to get Craig Kimbrell on a one-year deal saying they are allowing him to hit the market. And uh, Craig Kimbrell is saying, if I wait just another two months, I can sign the deal that I want to sign. That's my guess, is that the Brewers would like to just have it be a one-year deal. They're willing to spend the money on a one-year deal, but Craig Kimbrell wants more than a one-year deal. Because he knows that if he comes back now, and he has a mediocre year for the Brewers and then tries to hit the market next year, he's not going to hit the exact same kind of number that he can just wait two more months, have other teams that desperately need a bullpen piece. And they say, pay me $20 million a year over the next three or four years. Pay, you know, pay me Wade Davis money. There are teams that are going to be willing to do that. I think if they don't have to give up a, a, a draft pick um, rather than say, you're going to have a one year prove it deal. And as a reliever, you know that a, some people are talking about, maybe you're not quite as good as everyone is saying. And you know, as a reliever, that you have some volatility in your your performance. Um, if I were Kimbrel, I'd want to just wait two more years and try to, to to get the deal that I wanted. If I'm the Brewers, I'm trying to sign him on a one year deal now, telling him that we're going to allow him to hit the the market. Yeah, I yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think if they they make a deal, it's probably going to be have to be within the next month because you get much further than that, it's going to be too close to that deadline. Yeah, I think and so then too. guys might as well wait. So. Um, okay, we have a Patreon question from Jason Spitz. Even if you just for the adjust for the ridiculous April schedule, overall the pitching hasn't been good. What's your biggest concern regarding the staff in terms of derailing potential play a potential playoff berth? So long term, what do we got for issues? Getting innings out of the starters has been, you know, 
even considering that it's the game has changed and that you're not looking to get what you used to get out of starters, even there, they've just been really poor at that, which has really overexposed the bullpen and forced them to pitch more than you would like and pitch in situations you wouldn't want them to pitch in. And it's led to sort of a cascading effect of, yeah, they're just giving up runs. Burns and Peralta were both pulled in the fourth inning of their starts. And when you get a decent start against Anderson, it's still five innings. Right. And Zach Davies has mostly been five or six for the most part. And Shasin hasn't been the inning eater that he was for a good chunk of last year anyway. So they're just not getting many innings out of those starters. And that's that is concerning. And you would like to see if you could add. I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons I I prefer Keuchel over Kimbrell is that I think that he can add dimension there that is probably a bigger need for them because i think the bullpen they will find guys who can shut down things late i think you'll you'll have guys who will emerge i i don't feel nearly as comfortable as saying that you know you can have some guys that can fill in for a couple of weeks um and and guys who will you know go through a a month or two stretch i the more and more we get into uh bullpens carrying carrying teams and recognizing it's not just about having a bullpen that can have some guys that you believe in that can take a step forward. Um, what you need is elite guys. And when you look at what the Brewers were able to do last year, it was they had three elite relievers, and they were able to consistently do that. And if you had somebody like Burns who could uh, step in late, if you had somebody like Taylor Williams who had a good month, if you had somebody like, you know, you were able to bring in Dan Jennings and he was good for a couple months or, or Matt Albers. And, and then, you know, they all kind of fall off, but you needed to have three guys that you could rely on at all times to say, I, this frees us up to be able to just be an absolute nightmare past the sixth inning. And I think that that's still what they're, they need to do because right now it's like, you're relying on junior Guerra being, you know, one of your guys that you're going to absolutely rely on saying is going to be an elite reliever throughout the the, the rest of the year. Jeremy Jeffrey is saying that we don't even know how his shoulder is, but we're going to have to rely on him as being one of our absolute stalwarts in the, in the bullpen. And then you've got Josh Hader, which everyone is, you know, everyone freaks out every time that he, you know, pitches an, an inning. And it, now that everybody was freaking out that he went came in in uh, a game in which they weren't winning. Um it's hard, and I think that if you need to, if right now, I think that they're going to prioritize the bullpen over pretty much everything because I know if they were w- that worried about the starting rotation, I think they would have addressed it over the winter. That's probably fair, yeah, because things things have definitely changed. The outlook has changed more in the bullpen than it has in the rotation. Well, and we're watching a game right now where they're going to get it into that bullpen pretty quick here. Yeah, with Woodruff. uh, Woodruff's already given up. Four. I mean, look how close that two is. You know what? When things are not going great, that's what that's happens. How it goes, yeah. You get those bleeders. Cody Bellinger is able to just kind of wrist one through the infield. Yeah. So um, now the rotation is not the only place that struggled. There have been hitters who are still having a rough go of it, and uh, Jesus Aguilar is one of those guys. Uh, so we got a qu- Twitter question from uh, what is this? At Emergency P. PJ, PJ it, me. it me. Yeah, that's the yeah. It was on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. Yes. Uh, does Thames deserve more playing time with uh, Jesus Aguilar not producing much? I mean, I have no issue with that. That doesn't bother me to say that you would shade playing time towards Thames, and I think you've seen it. 
you know, Thames is definitely getting in against righties on a reasonably consistent basis. Not every game, but you're trying to get somebody hot and somebody going. And so far, Jesus has been so cold and just isn't driving the ball at all. When he gets a, a pitch to hit, he's not driving it. And that's probably not an issue that's going to stick around forever because the the approach and everything else, we talked about this last week, the approach is still there. And it, it seems like he's doing a reasonable job in working counts and getting pitches to hit. Uh, but it's just not when he gets them, he's not. Well, this, them, this so. has been a tough series, too, because we've had Ryu. We've had Kershaw. I mean, they've had they face lefties as well. So they haven't really had the opportunity to just get um, Thames in there. But I, I mean, do you think Thames can solve some of these problems, JP? I've I honestly like it's a cop out. I, I don't know. Um, I I get very nervous about these sorts of things in terms of making decisions in which you start to move away from somebody that you were coming into the season relying on being a key part of the offense uh, this early that I don't want to get into a place in which as an organization they move on from somebody just because they had a bad month. Are you uh, saying they should not run major league organizations the same way that I run my fantasy baseball team? Well, looking at your record, they should definitely <laughs> not do that, Steve. Hey, who are you playing against this week? I'm playing somebody that has Christian Yelich going, and I also have not won at all this this year. So I am also not somebody that you should be relying upon. Uh, but, I mean, like, we talk about it all the time, and we say, you know, Corbin Burns deserves time to be able to do things. And then he gets sent down, and we say, well, you know what? He probably needed to get sent down for a little bit. Um, like, we're able to rationalize decisions that the organization is making pretty much at all times because we do want to make it seem like there is a rational decision for things. We don't want to be like the Mets. Um, and hi, Mets fans. Uh, uh, also, I, you know, if you want to check out my Twitter, I still make fun of the Mets fans all the time. Um, but you don't want to just... If you're going to be a small market organization, you're going to try to create as much roster depth as you possibly can with young players again and again and again. You have to be able to give them time to be able to work through issues. You can't have them get into a place in which they're worried about the fact that they didn't get a hit for three or four games in a row, and now they're starting to look over their shoulder and they're going to say, am I going to get pulled? Like, am I going to start losing playing time? And then they're going to press more and they're going to get into the situation. You have to understand. One of the biggest things, like I know everybody hated Ned Yost for, for various reasons, and, and Ned Yost was, you know, and he was uh, problematic for a lot of different reasons. Um, but the one thing that Ned Yost was always able to do is he was able to have faith in young players. And that's one of the reasons why he had success with the Royals when they were coming up and having a lot of young hitters come up is he was willing to defend guys to the death. He was willing to defend guys by saying either bald faced lies in, in uh, press conferences or just repeating things to be able to deflect things off of of players and everyone hated Ned Yost for it. And that was his role is his role was to sit there and tell people stuff that everyone hated. So they didn't go and talk to the player. Um, you need to be able to, to, to work through these things. Um, and you need to make sure that guys feel comfortable and know that they're it's baseball. And we all know that they're going to go through bad stretches and they have to be allowed to go through a bad stretch every now and then and not worry about whether or not their playing time is going to get. Well, slow. and also they have a solid record right now. So I think that's probably bought a little bit of ability to work through some of these tough issues. Otherwise, I think Woodruff would be getting a lot more heat at the moment as well. If if they had a losing record right now, 
and Woodruff was, you know, struggling like he is, I think we'd really see yeah. people's hair on fire, basically. In general, well, though, I, I agree with what you're saying about this, but I do think in this specific case, Jesus Aguilar and Eric Thames both have some claim on the first base job based on what they've done in the recent past. Both have had success and have been good hitters. It's not like Jesus Aguilar, in this in this limited instance, he can't look at Eric Thames getting time over him at first base and go, well, yeah, that's not that doesn't make sense because no, Eric Thames it, is, you know, a year removed from like 33 home runs or whatever it was. I know that. And when you have a roster that has a lot of talent on it, it's not about irrationally thinking you're going to lose time. It's knowing that you have good players behind you, that if you start to, to, to struggle, you are going to get replaced. And you and you have to understand as a player is this a, is this a scenario that every single month I am playing for my job or is this a scenario in which I am I am the guy who is trusted here I can understand that I can have a bad series and I will get turned to again and yes it's a slippery slope right because you're like well you know is it two months of struggles or is it three months of struggles at what point do you actually pull the trigger you have to pull the trigger at some point but when it comes to the organization more generally, I would be really interested to say, if you said to the organization right now, is Jesus Aguilar your first baseman of the future? Would they say yes or no? And if the answer is no, no problem with them putting in Eric Thames a little bit. Right? If, they want, if they want Eric Thames to start starting, if they want it to basically be a platoon, I'll, I'll do what you need to do. But if, they're, if their answer to that is yes, we want him to be our first baseman of the future, then you have to let him struggle. Yeah, I don't think he's the first baseman of the future. I know you would probably argue with me on that. I'm not sure. I mean, define future, but like he has three years of control left after this. <laughs> he has three years of control left after I'm, this, and he's. I am shocked you would hedge on this. Define he's, future. He's 30. Tomorrow? He's 30. Like, he's at 30. He's 28 or 29, but I don't care. He's close to 30. So, like, the future is not that that's, long of a. But that's not a young player, and he doesn't exactly have a body that you go, well, he's going to age well. No, probably not. So. I mean, when you say when you say first baseman of the future, I think you'd likely be saying the rest of this year and next year. Oh, sure. I think that that's fair. Hey, the future. Do you think Keston Hira is going to be throwing to Jesus Aguilar? Sure. I think we're going to see Jesus Aguilar for the next few years. Okay. So if it's that if it's that case, then you have to allow Jesus Aguilar to struggle. If that's what if you're going to be working under that assumption. And you're not because I'm not a hundred, and you know, and this is something that we talked about a lot over the over the offseason is like Jesus Aguilar wasn't as good as everybody said he was for as long as people claimed last year. And yes, I know that if you looked at his monthly splits rather than his just his second half splits, you know, it looked a little bit better. But the point still remains: we were making a pretty big claim about Jesus Aguilar after about about three months of playing time. I mean, this is his worst month by far that he's had in the last two years so but that's not that's not the point you get you can't like you're you're creating a straw man over what i'm saying to try to make it seem ridiculous you know what's interesting is talking about other guys that were you know struggling through in the major leagues okay so we have mike moustakis and his fractured right finger he's day-to-day they're not putting on putting him on the il before we started recording we were joking about well it's time to bring up keston hero with what's going on with Travis Shaw, Jesus Aguilar, et cetera. Could they even tr- consider bringing Hira up unless he's going to hit right away? 
look, he's on my fantasy ba- bench right now, and I don't have that many bench spots. I'm ready to roll with Kesson here at second base. I mean, if you're going to bring him up, he needs to be in the lineup essentially every day. So Exactly, old- but that means you have to be willing to roll with some you know, tough periods because you have a young hitter. It's it's a lot to expect him to come up and be an integral part of that offense right now. Slot into one of the top, what, four hitters, basically? I mean, you could bring him up, start him every day. If he doesn't hit in the first two weeks, set him down. That's not... You can, but is that even something they should consider doing, JP? Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine not. I I wonder like when these big call-ups will start to happen, right? I, I do wonder in terms of if they're thinking Super 2 or if they're playing with this stuff are they basically waiting for vlad guerrero jr to come up like i don't i don't see a situation in which they're going to call up kesson hero before vladito gets called and, and why? Are, why why does that matter because you're setting the market right like isn't it isn't it based and this is my limited understanding of like super two it's not a specific date right it's a certain percentage of the people getting called up early in the year yeah i mean super two is months from now it's mid-june now so, but is, but isn't it based on? Isn't it not based on time? It's based on percentage of people called. Yes, up. it's based on percentage of people called up, and they changed that percentage to be even more encompassing. Like so, they raised it, so so it's only June because everyone is waiting longer and longer to call their people up. No, it's June because they changed it. It used to be uh, late May, and they changed the percentage so, to so, get more. People but there wasn't a date. Two. It was just usually that's the flow of players. It's the flow of players. Up. Yes. Usually by May is when you were past that point. Late May is when you're past that point. Still, if you need help, who cares if you're going to spend a little bit more? Oh, oh, I agree. I agree. But I'm just say, I'm suggesting that. So, yes, I guess that that's a fair point that thinking about wh- whether Vladito was going to be the first person called up or Hira called up, you know, I guess I'm making a larger argument about, like, are you going to wait until the Super 2 line to call up Kesson Hira? Are they going to call him up as quickly as possible? I don't yeah. think the Super 2 is really a factor at all. I think it's just... It is wh- for you. No, I don't give You a sh- love to think about that stuff. I don't care at you all wanna, about you Super 2. You want to pinch as many pennies as possible. I don't care at all about Super 2. You're I care about liar. the extra year of... You are a liar. No, I care about the extra year of service time. Oh, my God. The only evil, reason I but... think I know about Super 2 is the number of times that Ryan would monologue about why teams need to keep guys down. No, I, I mean, you don't... You do like to suppress the working class from making <laughs> what they deserve... <laughs> I mean, would you would you see Kesson Hira come up, or would you see Mauricio Dubon come up? Mauricio Dubon's also been hitting the ball okay. I think Mauricio Dubon probably comes up before Hira does, just because he has more flexibility. Well, doesn't it depend wise. on what they need? If they're literally just slotting somebody in at second base, Mustakas is down, Shaw's playing third base, and you need a second baseman, and you need offense out of second base, wouldn't you call up Hira? It's a fair point, and Arcia has been acceptable enough that you're not looking to like replace him on a regular basis in the lineup, so he's yeah. been acceptable. Steve, yeah. he's putting up acceptable offensive numbers. That's because apparently hitting it about 320 feet equals three home runs right now well but i would say that the one thing about dubon as well if you do call him up that not only could you slide somebody into second base most days but you do have the flexibility to then play or not sometimes at second base depending on what's going on with moose but the other thing to think about too and i'm just saying this to play devil's advocate because we saw it happen last year tyler saladino is absolutely crushing the ball in triple a and we saw and we saw them give saladino a run when he was 
when he was hitting well, and then he got hurt, and then it just kind of like all. Well, helped. but you already said they're using the major league ball down in San Antonio. I think we could. Probably... Well, they're using the major league ball in the major leagues yeah. too, Steve. So yeah, but <laughs> but this is Milwaukee. This is not San Antonio. Uh, absolutely, but uh, the one the one thing that I I was going to bring up when Ryan was saying he thinks it's a good thing they are using it in AAA. I agree, and I think it's actually going to make power, you know, projections. It's going to make offensive projections much easier to make when you're trying to see how things are going to carry over. And it's not like Saladino is not produced in the major leagues. No, and Saladino is fine. He is an acceptable defender and, you know, a, a decent-ish middle infield bat. So. Nobody cares about Tyler Saladino. Will Keston Hira get called up before the end of May? Oh, before the end of May? I think it depends on how bad Moose's injury is. I yep. think if I... I think if Moose's injury is okay and he's able to play through it, I I don't think we'll see Keston Hero that quickly uh, unless something you know significant happens. But if if Moose can't play, there's a shout for it. So the moment Moose goes on the the IL, are we on Keston Hero watch? Yes. Or should we go yes. to the, should we go to Mitchell and start you know camping out waiting for Keston Hero to come walk checking those through? flights? Yeah. Seeing the yeah, I would say a hundred percent. If if he goes on the injured injured list and it's not a well he's going to be down 10 days and then he's going to be back but if he goes on the if he has to have like surgery or something like that if that happens yeah i think here is probably the guy to come up if here is called up how quickly do you pick him up in fantasy jp you already have him <laughs> on your team but how many other people should go out and like pick him up immediately i i mean everyone i mean if you uh, to be honest, I think he's somebody that can hit for average. He can hit for some power. He's going to be in a, a lineup that ostensibly is going to have a lot of people on base. Um, he is going to be somebody that will hit, you know, fifth or sixth in the order. And I would like to imagine that Travis Shaw doesn't continuously uh, struggle all year. Yeah, I think that Kesson here is absolutely somebody that he is going to steal some bases too. It if is for people that play in Roto Leagues. He's going to steal a few bases. It is kind of weird though with Hero because I think if Christian Yelich is batting second, and Christian Yelich is killing the ball. If Christian Yelich didn't exist, Keston here seems like the kind of guy who would bat second in the lineup. He is, yeah, he does kind of fit a profile of a second hitter. Man, if Christian Yelich didn't exist, man, that'd be sad. It would be very, very sad. Yeah. <laughs> but he does exist. He does bat second because teams are batting their best hitters second nowadays. But it's kind of odd to hear him, you know, hear a batting fifth or sixth if you think he's going to be a legit. Uh, threat in the lineup especially again with with some of the struggles they've had with Shaw and Aguilar and in other guys in the lineup I mean if he shows any kind of competence do they start batting him third or fourth uh, I think the only way you do that is if you have extended struggles from other people right like I mean if 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 Travis Shaw starts to hit the ball a little bit better if Ryan Braun is able to, to consistently take the field um if you have Jesus Aguilar start to hit the ball again, then no, you don't move Kesson Hira in there. So that'll do it for this week. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Ryan? Nope. No, nothing? JP, what are you looking forward to this week? How about a, a games against the Mets? We haven't seen them yet. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to a new team standing on the other side, like looking at new colors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. 
It'll be what? So like the Mets are going to have some orange. That'll be new. They have both an off day and a game against the Mets, which are two very unique things at the moment. Well, and if Jacob deGrom pitches against them, we might actually see his elbow explode. I was going to say. The Mets apparently don't care about his health. <laughs> so like they're just going to let him go on the mound and we'll just see it. Like They're like, we, we signed time. him to an extension. Now we just pitch him until he's done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> we have no Did investment you, now. He's with us yeah. for the long no, term. No, they were like, they're like, we included insurance in that deal. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, oh, my uh, God. Did they really? Is this an insurance scam? (laughs) (laughs) The Mets have moved up to insurance fraud. God, I wouldn't. wouldn't, I'm not going to say anything, but uh, like that is that would be a Mets thing. Um, I mean, let's be honest. If anybody in the league is pulling an insurance scam, it would be the the Mets. Mets. Did you? Did you? did you see the the comment about so Nathan Ivaldi also is kind of having some elbow issues for the Red Sox and they put him on on the injured reserve and did you see what they said about him? They were like, we're not really sure the extent of it yet. He can't straighten his arm. I was like, <laughs> good. Seems yeah. suboptimal. Uh, that seemed he just he just really, hits his arm and it spins around. <laughs> I was like, that seems really great. I'm sure nothing bad has happened. They were like, he dealt with it before. And I was like, when he had like Tommy John surgery, I'm like. <laughs> Like elbow, yeah. So either way, um, pitching injuries haven't been phenomenal thus far, and it does make me like appreciate the fact that like the Brewers, whenever any kind of pitching injury happens, they immediately say you're on the DL and you're going to be there for quite a long time. Instead of like these other ones where they're just like, do you think he can pick up a ball today? <laughs> do you think we put him out there for a few innings? Can you throw out the other one and just eat some innings for us? <laughs> so, okay. That's going to do it for this week's show. You can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons above the ball and glove level. Well, ball and glove and above, right? Ball and glove and above. Ball, ball and glove and above. Receive the Greater, minor league extra podcast. Greater than? Greater than and equal to. There we just- go. So uh, check that out. Go to our Patreon. Check it out. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast. Pod, pocket casts i don't know like i said i've done a bunch of these all of them if you, you can get us anywhere if you can't find it let me know and yeah steve will take care of because it. i've pretty much got it on every uh he's like he's like i even consider it a challenge try to find yes. somewhere i have not put it on <laughs> basically like the ukrainian internet at this point <laughs> it doesn't have it i have a bunch of dot rus that i have the podcast posted on so, uh, yes, is very good. <laughs> Whatever that website was that Dwight told Pam to use in the office, the where to download her music, was like someplace in Russia. <laughs> I don't think that was the office. I think people were legitimately doing that. No, it wasn't the office though, too. I understand that. I'm saying it was real. I had I had somebody that I worked with. Oh, I just go to the Russian website and download stuff. I'm like, okay, good luck. <laughs> uh, don't do that. <laughs> download the download the podcast on a reputable website. Do not go to anywhere else and start downloading. We those. have plenty of domestic locations that you can download this podcast to so do that. So, uh, you know, and if you find any of those domestic locations to download the podcast and listen, leave reviews. We like that. Five stars. Five stars, and then you can say whatever you want, and we'll we'll take it to heart. Well, we'll probably laugh at it. Maybe if we don't have anything to talk about, we'll read them on on the podcast. Uh, but otherwise, leave reviews. Um, and hey, we'll be back next week. So thanks for listening to Milwaukee's Tailgate.